Noble Together is a podcast designed with you in mind, the parent who wants to partner in their child's education from the classroom to the car line. Our goal is to create conversations that provide shared vocabulary and strategies to help our children thrive. We could do this alone, or we can teach our children to be noble together. Welcome to episode three, Disciplining with Empathy. And today we are joined by our Dean of Students here at Archway Arte, Bree Roberts. Good morning, Bree. Good morning, Mrs. Mason. Together we will be discussing chapter three of Michelle Borba's book, Unselfie, and we'll wrestle with the big conundrum, which is how to model empathy for children while simultaneously setting limits and giving consequences. Now to kind of help frame this conversation, I decided to walk out to our car line for some impromptu interviews with some of our Archway Arte parents. And I asked them the question, what's one thing you remember getting in trouble for in elementary school? Before we listen to those, Mrs. Roberts, (laughs) as our Dean of Students here, uh, I'm sure you can relate. What's one thing you got in trouble for in elementary school? It's funny that you asked this because I had a feeling you were going to ask this. And so I started to think about it and The thing I got in trouble for a lot in school is actually, I think, a typical thing we see here, which is talking in class Mm -hmm. and specifically talking to my peers because I had had boundless energy as a child, which for anyone who knows me knows I still have boundless energy, (laughs) so not too much of a surprise, but yeah, talking. All right. Well, it makes a lot of sense. You'll get to use that skill today. And we all grow into our best selves. So I can see you putting that talking into (laughs) really good practice. So let's give a listen and we'll reflect on some of our parents' comments in just a moment. Hello. What's one thing you remember getting in trouble for in elementary school? Uniform was too short. Talking out of turn in class. Honestly, I never got in trouble. being easily distracted, talking a lot. So I had, I would always have fingernail polish on and I always got in trouble for that and then having socks below my ankles. Yeah. Okay, just fling the ankles. You know what, not lining up in line when the whistle blew. Okay. I'm gonna go with that. I made fun of my first grade teacher's last name because his name was Mr. Lavaroni and I called him Mr. Macaroni. I would say running running in the hallways, running in the common spaces. We were always being told to slow down, walking, walking, walking. Yeah, just, you know, like I was bullied and then, you know, I mean, we got into a fight, but that's, that's about it. I was a bad child. Uh, I got a lot of fights. Being too rough with everybody. So we made masks in kindergarten of milk jugs and that had a backing. Well, I decided to flip my mask around so I couldn't see. And I ran into the wall and split my head open. In elementary school, I would get in trouble for talking. It makes sense, I'm a, te- I'm a teacher now. I used to get in trouble for not participating. I didn't have to be disciplined. I was just a very obedient child. A lot of moms are saying that. Probably not getting to school on time. Were you like my father who had to walk uphill both ways in the snow? Actually, I did have to walk a, a, a mile and a half one way. Well, there you go. You know, in the snow, it, yes. when it when it snowed back in New Jersey. Okay. So. Miss Roberts. Okay, so give me some feedback. What do you think about those interviews? Okay, that was so fun. 
I, while we were watching, I know we were both like cackling because it's just like, it's so easy to relate to, right? We see these things in ourselves. We see these things in the kids that we have today. Um, and I know we were talking about some common themes that we saw. Do you want to yeah, get go into ahead. that? Yeah, mm-hmm. so it was just so funny with a lot of the moms, those who wanted to share. It was things uh, such as talking in class, right? Which is what I shared about myself. So right. it was good to see that others had that same experience. And not to say that that's just what we see in girls. Boys have that struggle too. But just to know that that's a theme is interesting. And then, oh, what was it for dads? There was Dads were, they were physical, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yep, which mm-hmm. we see in our little boys mm-hmm. trying to learn mm-hmm. how to express themselves. So yeah. it was just, I really enjoyed listening to that. So yeah. thanks to our parents. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And Bree, before we dive in, I know you wear many hats here at school, but just keeping the theme of high school yearbook, I know Mr. Gillingham shared his and I shared mine. What were you nominated for in your high school yearbook? So my high school yearbook, I was nominated for most likely to always have a smile. Yep. And I see that. It is true. (laughs) That fits you very well. So our podcast here, I know no one can see your beautiful smile, (laughs) but it is there all the time. You're welcome. Now, the title of chapter three is Empathetic Children Understand the Needs of Others. This chapter has a lot to do with discipline and consequences, which is right up your alley and why I invited you to co-host this one with me. As is being empathetic, I will say. So can you share a bit about your specific role at our academy, uh, what you do on a typical day as Dean of Students? Yeah, so I will share with you what I tell students I do because, you know, headmaster, assistant headmaster, those, those names are a little bit more obvious for our kiddos. So when I first meet a student, I re-clarify who I am because some of them don't see me as often. You know, I tell them my name is Mrs. Roberts, I'm the Dean of Students here, and I always explain to them that my role is to help kids solve problems. And that's really what it is. Um, things pop up in class, and though our wonderful teachers do their best to coach their students, sometimes a little bit more support is needed. So, you know, typically it is the types of things that we heard from the parents in the car line. Right, that was my next yeah, question. What yeah. are some of those common behaviors that you see come through your doors? I would say it, there's two categories. It's usually something to do with the playground. So-and-so has done such-and-such, such, right? And usually it's two friends who are working out a social problem. One friend did something to another, which upset that friend, and then they did something back, and it's them figuring out how to be in a good friendship. So social issues, this need to connect. Um, And interestingly, while I'm thinking about it, when I get things from class, it is typically, you know, they were talking over or they were talking to their friends or, and that, you know, didn't allow them to focus on the learning. But I think when we dig in there too, we find that that's actually the same reason. Why are they talking to their friends in the middle of the class? It's connection, right? They love their friends. They have that energy. They have that excitement. And so the same coaching applies how to channel that energy. I would say those are probably two two of the main themes I see yeah, in my I love office. That. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I love that you use the word coaching. Yeah. Yeah, right? I think that is my role. It, it, it aligns with both of our philosophies that we use here at school, both Love and Logic and also another book called Lost at School, which is 
my job is not simply just to tell the kiddo, this is how you fix it, this is what you did wrong, and this is why. It's for me to come alongside them and bring them in on answering those questions. And I find that when we do that, they feel more powerful and they're more easily able to actually solve the problem in the future. Thank you. And and that title of that book is Lost at School. So it's called, yeah, it's called Lost at School. And it's fairly new this year. And we're, we read it as a staff. And the philosophy is really just that all students do well if they can. And all students want to do well. And any misbehavior from students is a sign of a skill-based deficit that requires instruction, just like reading, just like math, anything else. So then there's interventions that can be put into place, such as mini lessons or coaching to fill those gaps. That's right. Right. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much. It's important to remember that students will come to us deficient in many of those basic social skills, underdeveloped in their emotional regulation, and inexperienced in their interpersonal problem-solving skills, which is why your job is so important. This is part of what we teach in the classroom, and it doesn't just happen by accident. There's felt needs students bring with them into the classroom. Think back to that still face. If you were able to watch the still face experiment, what did that baby do in order to be seen? She misbehaved. She threw a temper tantrum trying to get her mother's attention. Borba says on page 50, the trick is to look for those discipline moments when we can help our children grasp how their actions affect others so it stretches their empathy And one day they can act right, I love this part, without our guidance. So, Ms. Roberts, how do you help children grasp this? How do you help children grasp how their actions affect others? And then we can use that as an opportunity to build empathy. Well, I think there's really two main ways that I do this. And usually the first i'm going to explain is better fitting for the younger kiddos and then the second way for the older but they're certainly interchangeable and you just have to know your kiddo um that relationship piece is so important now i don't always know that when i'm getting a kiddo into the office so i'm getting to know them in the moment but the first is just helping the child be put in the shoes of another. While it might be hard for a child to understand how their actions have affected another person, they can easily understand how it might feel if it was them. Let's just say, for example, I have a little kinder and they're in my office because they took so-and-so's lunch or, or hit so-and-so. They did something to another student. One of the first questions I might ask them was, okay, If that happened to you, how would that make you feel? If you had your lunch stolen, if you were hit, how would that make you feel? And every single time they answer that it would make them feel sad Mm -hmm. because it would. And then we kind of get into the next part of the conversation, which is, okay, well, how do you think it made your friend feel? And then learning from Borba in Unselfie, we can enhance this conversation with more details. Mm -hmm. Think back, what kind of look was on their face? What did they say to you after? Mm -hmm. And then sometimes the kids remember great detail. They'll tell me they were actually crying or they they ran away. So just painting that picture for them, I think. And then the second thing you actually taught me, Mrs. Mason. So it's guided reconciliation or what we might call mediation. And so this is usually for the upper grade students because I think they're a little bit more mature. But typically I would say with the upper grade students, when I'm getting a student in my office, it's usually stemming from a situation where something happened between the two of them, which is a sign of a breakdown of their connection, their friendship, 
uh, miscommunication. And not always, but often, somebody did something first. It could be something super minor, right? He didn't play with me, right? right? He hasn't been talking to me at lunch. And that happens so often, and then it leads to something bigger. Then you get upset during the soccer game, and then you push the person down, and then when I unfold the conversation, Mm -hmm. I make these connections. Mm -hmm. So all of that to say, when I am talking to the kiddo one-on-one, it's not as powerful for me to say to them, you you hurt their feelings Mm -hmm. and they're sad. This is why. It's more powerful for them to be face-to-face, explaining that to each other with my guidance and seeing the look on each other's face and kind of having that aha moment of, oh, I didn't even know that. Or you make me feel that way too. And then in the moment, working through it together, telling each other how they'll fix the problem and committing to doing that. And I think us teaching them that skill, and I always tell them at the end, you can do this on your own on the playground. Because I, I, I always tell them at the end, I didn't do anything. All I did was ask them a couple of questions. Yes. They had the conversation, yeah. right? It's so important and I think so powerful, your role in facilitating those conversations because a lot of times students feel embarrassed or awkward and they just lack, even as adults, it's hard to go to someone you know you've offended or have hurt intentionally and ask for forgiveness. It's very vulnerable putting yourself out there in that way. And so to have students know, okay, this conversation is protected and guided by a loving, caring adult, it really gives them courage to engage. And I've never had a student say, no, I don't want to do that. I've also never seen, knock on wood, up till this point, one of those guided conversations where the two students say, you know, they agree to this, they promise to do it differently, and I tell them I believe them they haven't come back for that same incident. I agree, actually. When we're able to get to that place, yes. I, I don't see those students repeat in my office as typically as I maybe thought I would before I started this method. Um, it's, it's impressive how powerful it mm-hmm. simply is for them to find those mutual connections yeah. and see, see the feelings on each other's faces. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Let's let's pivot to rewards. Mm. So there's there's a little bit in the book where Borba dives into intrinsic extrinsic rewards. How do we balance those two things in the classroom setting? Mm. So we want students to do something good for the the feeling of having done something good, intrinsically motivated to study hard, work hard, be kind. And then we also have this very practical aspect of it where they're young and they they thrive when they are receiving that sometimes tangible sometimes intangible right just words of affirmation and encouragement talk to me a little bit about intrinsic extrinsic rewards yeah i think it's a balance you're absolutely right i think again it's knowing the age and the maturity level and what skill deficits they may or may not have. I think in terms of extrinsic rewards, we typically use those when we're trying to build a habit, 
a routine that the kiddo doesn't yet have. We all are motivated by other things. I know that when I get through a really long week and I get to go home and go have takeout on the weekend because that's what my husband and I do, I'm excited by that. And so just as adults are excited about that, so are kiddos. So whether it's you know something from the treasure box or a class marble jar reward, a party that's coming at the end of the week or extra recess, kiddos do take joy in that. And I think that's a positive thing that we should celebrate. Mm-hmm. When it comes to, you know, going maybe a step too far is when that's all we're doing. There's no coaching that comes alongside it. There's no teaching of those lagging skills. And I think our teachers do a great job of making sure to pair both things. I know something that we're doing this year is our virtue awards across the whole school. It is slightly extrinsic because they're receiving a sticker. So low, low hanging fruit, but they love those stickers. But I would say it does pair the intrinsic reward because we're rewarding them specifically for showing virtue, for showing good and noble acts, which allows them to be taught at the same time. This is what it means to be good and noble. And then I would say, Just expanding on the intrinsic rewards, like you said, doing good for the sake of good in our kiddos, I think that's really where the empathy building comes in. A lot of times I hear teachers say to their kiddos, we do this because it is the right thing, or it matters how we treat others. We treat others in a way that makes them feel happy. It's not our job to hurt others, it's our job to help others. So kind of teaching kiddos that doing good things, making those good and noble choices feels good it makes us feel good inside it makes others feel good inside and that goes a long a long way in their education thank you so much very well stated mrs roberts now finally before we wrap up and you're so great at this i'm really excited (laughs) oh no (laughs) the socratic conversation oh thank you the way that's framed with unselfie we use an acronym here at school which is slant Mm -hmm. s-l-a-n-t sit up listen ask and answer questions, nod, which you're doing right now, <laughs> and, and T, track the speaker. That really reminds me of what Borba describes on page 61. She uses SOLAR as her acronym. Can you share a little bit about how we teach students to engage in their community through active listening and participation? Um, specific to the classroom. I think this is such a great skill, a life skill, as you were talking about earlier, that is transferable from the classroom to the kitchen table. Tell us about what what type of framing goes into that active listening participation here. Yeah, I think slant, when we originally put it into place, I remember it was a couple years ago for one of our thematic goals. And that thematic goal was more about like student Um, manners and respect and things like that which are extremely important and things we still focus on but it helped students be better learners when they were listening when they were looking at their teacher when they were giving good attention to the learning they had better scores but I think for our kiddos when we're thinking about empathy slant also gives them the skills they need to understand and connect with other kiddos around them for example nodding like you were saying i was doing when i was listening to you it was a good way for me to show you that i was listening to you and then i would say the same thing about that l the listening and slant i think it 
you have to kind of break that down with kiddos a little bit. What does that mean? And it could mean something like making eye contact. Looking at a person and looking at them in the eye says to them that they matter and that you want to hear what they have to say. And these things go a long way in showing others that we care for them. And so I think when our kiddos learn these skills, they're able to be better friends to one another. They're able to understand others. And I think you just pick up on more about human beings when you're when you're really looking at them listening when we're kind of holding our phone you know we're all we're all guilty of being on our phone a little bit too much and I know I do it and I'm on my phone when somebody's talking to me and I can hear what they're saying but I'm not really hearing them because I'm not seeing how they're feeling Mm. those other things that go into it by by tracking their eyes and and watching their facial expressions and those types of things. Well, it's impressive that you can hear what they're saying. My husband oh. was, he would say, I cannot hear anything. <laughs> yeah. Anyone is well, saying if my, my eyes are on my phone. My husband might say the same thing, actually. But I think, well, that's a teacher's skill, right? Is we yes, always joke, we have yes. eyes in the back of our head. We have to be attuned to everything that's going on, but we could all do a, a better job at putting those phones yeah. down, right? Yeah. Well, is there anything else, Mrs. Roberts, that you want to say in conclusion or final words, final thoughts? Oh, gosh. I'm just so thankful I get the chance to work with everyone's kiddos. We have a really special community, and it's truly a joy to be able to come alongside the teachers and supporting our scholars here. I'm constantly impressed with their capabilities. I think I think that's probably the biggest lesson I've learned as dean. And I think sometimes our philosophies in terms of putting the responsibility on them and inviting them in and the problem solving and even teaching them empathy, I think those things can sound really daunting, but it's very, very possible. And one thing I said when we were listening to the parents is I said, like, proof that there is a core human truth that we all have. We have these parents of all these different generations mm-hmm. who experience these things, and our kids still are, and we can connect on those. And that's how I know it's possible for our kiddos to grow, because we grew as well. Much of this conversation centered around the classroom, and purposefully so. Borba dives deep into a few personal parenting philosophies and touches on various discipline strategies from spanking to timeouts. I'll leave that to you to read through and decide what works for your unique family culture. My personal takeaway from chapter three is found on page 56. Borba encourages us as parents to express disappointment, not anger, when it comes to a poor choice our child has made. Now, anger may be easier to identify than disappointment, and it may even feel more objective. But hear me out. Typically, when we feel angry, it's because our child has done something to offend or embarrass us. Now, those feelings, being offended, being embarrassed, they're deeply layered. And if we're honest, many times those feelings have more to do with what's going on inside of us than our child's actions. By contrast, when we are disappointed, It's because what we experience differs from what we hoped for. We always hope for the best in our kids. We hope they grow up to choose the good and noble, and when they don't, it's okay to let them know we had hoped for something better. Borba says, sharing your disappointment is an opportunity to emphasize the values you stand for, as well as to convey that you expect your kids to act in a kind and caring way. This is different from shame, pointing out, for example, that Texting while grandpa tried talking to you was rude is an objective statement about an action, not your child's character. 
Now saying you are so rude because you texted while grandpa was talking to you feels very different. There's not much room for redemption there. Borba also encourages us not to discount our children's conscience. It will kick in. What they may need help with is carving out space to connect with their conscience and sit in that feeling. Today's cultural norm is to steer clear of feelings that are even remotely close to shame, guilt, or regret. You do you, shake it off, we hear those, right? But there's a real danger in this. One strategy Borba suggests, and something I've seen implemented by one of our teachers, is the concept of rescripting. Essentially, this teacher asks students to write out the scenario which caused him or her to get sent to admin. Sometimes they're here in my office, and when they're in that recovery space, students are asked to write a different ending. If they could have a do-over, what they wish they would have done. It's a powerful exercise and carries the possibility of redemption. Again, it's forward-facing, not dwelling too much on the incident itself as much as what needs to be done differently in the future. Well, thanks for joining me. And as promised, here's a sneak peek into next episode's guest. I'll share a few hints to leave you guessing. She is a twin. She was a dental hygienist for 10 years and has the most beautiful smile. And she's run three half marathons. Does that count as a marathon and a half? I look forward to connecting again as we talk about chapter four of Unselfie with our special guest. Until next time, Work to build connections with your kids, one conversation at a time.